Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Robbie Kelman Baxter is a consultant, author, and speaker. She has written The Forever Transaction and The Membership Economy and hosts the podcast's subscription stories. She has more than 20 years of experience providing strategic business advice to major organizations, including Netflix, Fitbit, Microsoft, and Consumer Reports, and has worked in or consulted to clients in more than 20 industries. She has been focused on subscription and growth strategies for the past decade and coined the popular business term membership economy, which is now being used by organizations and journalists around the country and beyond. Robbie has been featured in the Wall Street Journal and on CNN. She earned her MBA from the Stanford Graduate School of Business and graduated with honors from Harvard College. In this podcast, she will share why you should consider evolving your business model from a transaction-based one into a membership-based one, what she learned from working with Netflix and other membership-based companies across a range of industries, and why evolving into a membership model is not just about changing changing your pricing model. No, it also requires you looking at making three other sets of strategic changes. Ladies and gentlemen, Robbie Kelman Baxter. Robbie, thank you so much for spending some time with us here. Great to have you. A real pleasure to be here. I'm excited to get into the idea of this forever transaction, this eternal transaction, moving, shifting from a transaction into a relationship. But just to get us to know you a little bit better personally, could I ask you to complete this sentence for me? If you really know me, Robbie Kelman Baxter, you would know that. <laughs> That's a good question. If you really know me, you'd know that I am a strategy nerd and that I think and talk in frameworks, which is annoying to <laughs> to the people around me. Where I'm like, well, you know, if you look at it through this lens, if you look at it through that frame, but it is a way that I look at the world and how I see things. Well, you're absolutely at home here with strategy nerds. <laughs> Welcome. So since you're a strategy nerd, you know, I ask this question of every guest here and I never get the same answer. What is your definition of strategy? It's funny. I grew up in strategy, but I work with a lot of people who didn't. And one of the things that I found that really makes sense to people is two different definitions. One of them is you're here and you're trying to get there and there are many different ways to do it. And our strategy is how we're choosing to do it, what we think is going to work best. The other one is you take a step back and you look through a broader lens wherever you are. So I used to run marketing teams and a writer thinks about writing strategically, which is taking a step back and asking themselves, what is the purpose of this piece of writing? What are my goals? And how does that inform the path I take with my writing, but to the Marcom manager, who's that person's boss, writing is tactical. Marcom being marketing. Marketing communications. So the person who oversees, let's say the writers and the designers and the person that sets the strategy for how to communicate more generally, they're thinking about, do I use writing? Do I use video? Do I use other means? That's the strategy. So each person, whatever your role is, you can be strategic about it by taking a step back. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, I love that. I love that. I think you can be strategic in deciding what aisle to go down first in a grocery store. Which I do, uh-huh. which is annoying <laughs> to many people, but you and I could go to the grocery together. How do you think that through? <laughs> what aisle do you go to? Oh, you can park strategically, right? We have to think about, do we want to park close to the exit so that we can make a quick getaway after the concert? Or do we want to park really close so that we don't have to walk very far? Well, depends on your goals. Let's take a step back. What's the goal of this parking decision? Or we can park outside of the parking lot where it's free and we can save money. So strategy is really about taking a step back and understanding what the goals are of the activity you're about to embark on so that you can make a better decision. You said this, you can be strategic about literally anything. Love it. It's kind of like, what are you optimizing for? So what got you interested in strategy? Well, I was thinking strategically and always wanting to optimize. I love that you said that too, because I'm a total optimizer. You know, there's that optimizers and satisfizers, I think it is, or satisfiers. What's the best way to do something or what's a way to satisfy the need? I've always been an optimizer. And when I learned that there was a job called strategy consultant, I mean, I was an English major. I didn't know that until I was out of college that that existed. And it was just mind blowing for me that you could actually be paid, that people valued this kind of thinking. And that could be the only thing you do from a career perspective. And you were pretty young when you started. I think you started at Booz Allen. Is that right? Yeah, I did. I studied English in college. And then I worked for the city of New York for two years, working in economic development. There's an urban fellows program there. So I participated in that program. But then I realized that it wasn't strategic enough for me. I mean, I didn't have the words or the language for it, but the things that I was good at were not the things that they were necessarily putting me on to do. There wasn't a lot of need for strategy. There's a lot of need for operational excellence. And I did this whole search for jobs and I learned about strategy consulting and I went in and talked to them and they gave me those case studies, case interviews. interviews. And I was Mm -hmm. like, this is so fun. (laughs) I love doing this. (laughs) I would do this all day long. And so I sort of found my tribe, found my people. Beautiful, beautiful. So then you've gotten exposed to many aspects of strategy from the customer side, from the supply chain side, from the operations, from pricing, from branding. What is it of the elements of strategy what would you say that you are most well known for? Because I loved the last book I read of yours. If you could talk a little bit about what have people picked up on in your work and if you could describe that to us. Yeah. So my area of focus, certainly for the last 20 years or so, has really been on strategy for subscription businesses. In 2001, I worked with Netflix as a consultant and I fell in love with their business model. And I really doubled down on that space within the world of strategy, I thought, you know, if I'm on my own as an independent consultant, which is what I was doing at that time, I don't know that I can credibly be a general strategist on all things and build a brand around that. And so I said, well, I need to find something to focus on. And in my work at Netflix, I saw that they were onto something that was really different than what the other companies I'd worked with were doing. And it was around subscription pricing. It was around a focus on the customer relationship as more important than the transaction. It was the metrics they were using where they were really looking at things that now everybody does like retention or engagement that at the time were really unique. And I thought to myself, there's something here that could be applied to other organizations. And as I was falling in love with that model, other people were too. And I started getting calls, you know, saying we want to be the Netflix of whatever, news, music, dental pain management products, bicycles. I mean, you name it, somebody wanted to make it like Netflix. And so I started really thinking about what is it 
that that they mean when they say they want to be like Netflix? What are the shared attributes and what is unique to each company or each industry? And that's really what led me to write my books, The Membership Economy, which came out in 2015, and then The Forever Transaction, which came out last year. Okay. So let's help us illustrate that. So I live in Connecticut. I leave my house. I get on my Vespa. I drive seven minutes to my office over here. My office happens to be on top of a grocery store, kind of a mix between Whole Foods and a standard grocery store, a little upper end, but not with the robust offering of Whole Foods. If they said, let's reinvent ourselves as a membership business or a membership economy business, what would that look like? And I'd also like you to define membership economy for us, if you don't mind. Sure. So membership economy is the term that I use to describe what I've been seeing in this transformation of how organizations engage with their customers. At the heart, it's about treating your customers like members and assuming, desiring that you're going to have a long-term relationship with them. And that's the important key part of your strategy. It's characterized by a move from ownership to access, from an emphasis on transactions to an emphasis on the relationship, subscription pricing versus what I call episodic pricing, one-time pricing, pricing based on ownership. And it's also often incorporates community, not always, but a lot. You're a member, you belong. There's an implication that there are other members and there are people who are not members, they're outsiders. So for your grocery store, if I were working with that grocery store and they said, hey, we want to have more predictable revenue, we want to have deeper relationships with our customers, how do we do that? Being a strategist, I'd say, well, start by taking a step back. Who is it that you want to serve really well on an ongoing basis? And what is it that you're going to promise them you're going to do in exchange for their loyalty? And that, I call that the forever promise. As long as you come to our store first, we promise that. And then they have a lot of choices, this store, right? They can say, we promise that you're going to get the best prices. We promise that you're going to get a highly curated set of products that are curated for health or environment or deliciousness, or you're going to get the best service experience. Like there's a store like that in my town, Drager's in Menlo Park, California, which is really expensive, but they have all the best products, the highest end products. Everything looks pristine and perfect and beautiful. Some of it's organic, not all of it, but they're really going for a luxury, delightful experience of shopping versus Whole Foods, where I'd say maybe the experience isn't as luxury or delightful, but everything is organic and really high quality and nicely presented. So figure out what that promise is and then decide, do you want it to be a subscription or do you want it to be more of a membership model, membership writ large or small? For example, Costco, you could have a Costco model at your store where you pay upfront for access to privileges and benefits. Costco, you can't even go into the store if you're not a member. Amazon has a premium membership model where you can still buy from Amazon if you're not an Amazon Prime member, but it's a much better experience if you're a Prime member. You get the free shipping, you get access to other benefits. So those would be the things that I would talk to them about, right? Do you want to give somebody a subscription where you could go there every day and pick up your meal kits? Or do you want to pay a fee up front to get access to certain benefits? So that's how I think about it. What I like about what you opened with as well is that sense of belonging of I am a member versus there are other people who are not members. That's a value that you can deliver even if they're not buying grapes, even if they're not in your grocery store, right? Like that's immediately transferable or deliverable. Yeah. There's a lot about status. A lot of memberships are about status or identity. Just saying I'm a Peloton person or like I have a client Haggerty Insurance, which insures classic cars. 
and they have a membership now, the Hagerty Driver Club. But even before they had the membership, when they were just an insurance company, people would come up to them at car shows and say, I'm a member of you. I'm a Hagerty guy because they felt a sense of belonging and insider status being associated with the brand. Mm, yes, yes. And then the hierarchy of needs, I can see that being a very towards the top of the pyramid need. Yeah. 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 What would you say of all that work? Hopefully people will listen to this podcast. They're going to find your books and they're going to start educating themselves as to what it means to be involved and shift into this membership economy. But to get them there, what would you say is the key lesson or takeaway from your work? So five years ago, I would have said the key takeaway was that almost any business that has competition where the customer has other choices to solve that problem. So maybe not if you have a regulatory advantage or a legal advantage or a geography advantage, but anyone where your customer has choice, you can build a more profitable, more disruption-proof business model by treating your customers like members. Five years ago, that was the big point is that you could look through a different lens and build a better relationship. What I would want them to understand today is that if you are already moving down that path, as I would guess most of the listeners are thinking about membership, thinking about subscription, thinking about relationship, lifetime customer value, all of those things to understand that it's about more than just changing your pricing. You have to think about the impact on the products that you offer, the processes that you use internally, the metrics that you educate your leadership and your board to focus on all of that needs to change as well if you're making that move. It's not as simple as taking the products you have and slapping a subscription price on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see how that was probably the main thing that people get wrong when they think about flipping towards a membership. Could you illustrate that a little bit? You mentioned products, business processes, and metrics. Maybe you could illustrate one or all three of those. Yeah. So let's take a newspaper. Most newspapers historically have been mostly dependent on ads. And now they want to have what they call reader revenue. They want to be based on subscription. They want the readers to drive their revenue rather than the advertisers. So they're moving from this transactional relationship that they have with advertisers, and they're moving towards this more intimate relationship with their subscribers. A lot of newspapers, what they say is, that's a problem for our circulation team. That's a problem for our marketing team. You guys, you just figure out what the subscription should cost. And I, as an editor, as a journalist, will continue writing whatever stories I was writing before, for example. But if you're a subscription, let's say the Wall Street Journal, an article that would get a lot of eyeballs is not necessarily the same as the article that people would be willing to pay for, or that the people who are willing to pay would want to read. So an article about Kim Kardashian gets a lot of clicks. An article about a change in the bond market might not get very many clicks, but the people who click on that find it incredibly valuable and worth paying for. Most newsrooms historically have been focused on clicks, number of readers. So they've been changing the metrics, which actually changes the kind of content they're creating. Hmm. Interesting. So can you be both transactional and subscription or do you have to choose between two worlds? Five years ago, I would have said you have to choose, but I think I was wrong and I'm seeing organizations do both successfully. Like Amazon is a good example, right? They have Amazon Prime, but you don't have to be Amazon Prime. Big manufacturers like Unilever have some products that they sell on subscription. You can subscribe to Dollar Shave Club, but they also have lots of products you can just buy transactionally. They have some direct, they have some that's subscription. So you can do both. But what I would say is when you're doing both, the team that's doing subscription will, as you said, have a slightly different culture, have different processes, have different metrics, have different issues. And so if you're on leadership or if you're 
you're on the board or if you're an investor, you need to understand that. And we're seeing businesses now have these sum of parts valuations where the subscription bit of revenue is maybe valued at a higher multiple than the more episodic revenue. And so if you're running that organization, you need to be balancing some very different, it's almost like running two different companies. And at some point in many businesses, you're forced to decide where do we want to optimize? Yeah, like media companies right now, a big portion of valuation is the OTT or over-the-top subscription revenue, and they separate that out. Exactly. All right, I've got a ton of questions. However, we're reaching the top of our time with you. So let me shift gears a little bit and just ask you personally, of all the strategic advice that you've gotten, what has been most impactful or what do you wish you had heard earlier? I think on a personal level, what I wish I had really understood earlier was and this is so cliche, but to go with your strengths and to go to places, to work in places where they value what you're good at and what you love to do. And I don't know that that's for everybody. I'm not saying like only work somewhere where all the work is fun and what you feel like doing. It's not that. But I worked at a lot of places where they really wanted me to focus on operations and it's not my strength. And I even had one boss, I was a product manager and he didn't understand why I was frustrated. He's like, you're a solid B plus player here. And I was like, I want to go somewhere where my skills make Make me an A player. When I was at Booz Allen, when I was doing strategy consulting, like I understood what I was supposed to do and I did it really well. And it took me a long time to just get over myself because I went to business school. I went to Stanford. I'm in Silicon Valley. They're like, go be an operator, go get in there and roll up your sleeves. And that's not who I am. And I wasn't comfortable with that for a while. Yeah. You felt like you needed to be an operator. You need to follow that path instead of finding your, your A path. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Love it. So again, I have a ton of questions, but again, we're reaching the top of the time with you. What are you working on now and how can people engage with you? I'm working with a lot of companies right now that are trying to transition to subscriptions, experimenting with subscriptions. That's my day job. I have a podcast. I'm working on a course on subscriptions. What's the podcast called? It's called Subscription Stories, True Tales from the Trenches. It features people that are building subscription models across a range of different industries, talking about their experiences. So I'm working on that and I'm always interested in capturing stories of subscription journeys. And I'm easy to find, easy to reach. Robbie Kelman Baxter, or if you look up the titles of my books, I'm really easy to find. Great. And we'll put some links in the notes as well for the podcast. Robbie, thank you so much for being with us and for the work that you do. And I'm so glad that we've connected. A real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor, and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of Outthinkers. 